0: Hello, I'm Mike Wood, and I'm here with... Justin DeClue, And you're listening to the Very Fine Comic Book Podcast. And today, we're talking about, I'm going to get it wrong, Ranma One Half? One Half is correct. It's not Ranma Half, as I called it in the comics for a while, Mm -hmm. uh, or One and a Half. Uh, Yeah, it wasn't until the anime dub video started coming out that I realized it is Ranma One Half.
1: Even though, if I look at the cover here, you would think it's Ranma Half.
0: Yeah, I remember the guy at the comic shop I used to buy these from used to call them Ronma 1 2 or Ronma 1 over 2. Mm. Or 1 divided by 2. Now, does that get confusing when you're trying to find what volume you want and your grandmother gets you, oh, I got you volume 1 and 2? And you're like,
1: Grandma, it's volume
0: 10. <laughs> and extra confusingly today, we'll be covering volumes 1 and 2. Oh, well, this. not
1: confusing. Just
0: straight ahead. Straight ahead, actually, more so than the
1: title. But before we get to that manga classic, let's talk about what we've been reading, which is the new segment that. we've been doing over the last two episodes I believe two three yeah Yeah. something like that
0: and so Mike what have you been reading uh well I've been reading well actually I read it in a single sitting a graphic novel biography of Brian Epstein called The Fifth Beetle oh have you read this I I haven't read it but I've seen it on the shelf floating around so it's written by uh, Vivek Tiwari if I'm pronouncing that correctly and Andrew Robinson uh, everyone's favorite Taylor from Deep Space Nine Mm. not the same guy okay um, <laughs> I'm just nodding of Hell Hellraiser no fame about. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. and uh, I was so moved by this book that I actually don't want to go too into detail in it right now because I think I want to save it for another episode to talk about biography comics are you a Beatles fan uh, like marginally so like I mean mm. to, to answer the question yes like in a single word like my mom saw both the Beatles Toronto shows so she heard screaming probably yeah she has all these great stories about you know the crowds and the screaming like we grew up listening to so many beatles records and adjacent records and amidst all that i had never really dived into any documentation about the people around the beatles i knew nothing about brian epstein you didn't watch that like
1: seven hour apple documentary that was such a big deal like a decade two decades ago
0: that one, the... Oh, you mean the official The Beatles Anthology? Yeah, that one. Doc? Yeah, that was what? The mid to late 90s sometime? Oh, it was that late? Okay. Yeah, I think it was like 97 or so. Yeah, we watched all three nights of that when it aired, but it was kind of a blur as mm-hmm. you know any long doc project like that is. But um, uh, yeah, so I knew nothing about Brian Epstein himself, the person, like how he came to The Beatles, what his sort of ethos was, what his work ethic was like. I honestly just approached it in a very like hey let's see what this person was like this is a pretty book you know Mm -hmm. how interesting and i was absolutely like moved to tears in sections oh wow how well done it was uh just from the writing the art and the way the two merged to tell a story using the medium of comics in a way that seems much more creative than you'd think a biography comic would be because biography comics have been around for a while Mm -hmm. they're probably yeah a very easy lazy thing to do Like some of you may have seen the infamous like Mother Teresa biography that was actually commissioned by an organization uh, that's in charge of like the Mother Teresa uh, license that Jim Shooter wrote for Marvel. Whoa, Jim Shooter wrote that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So those have always existed. They're usually really dry and, you know, just to sell to some niche audience outside of the comic world. Mm -hmm. But this was an absolute work of art.
1: I mean, there were biography comics
0: like in the 90s during the black and white boom that were really wild,
1: like uh, the Pink Floyd story and other stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I know that Ken Langrath, the guy who did New York City Outlaws, which is the famous like outlaw comic, like did a lot of those. Oh, I don't know that at all. What is it? uh, New York City Outlaws? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's something for another episode. It's coming back in print. It's one of like the famous kind of like indie comics that I believe one of the issues, they use red ink to represent blood Hmm. when it was published. Like on a black and white comic? Yeah, on a black and white comic comic huh which I actually see a lot in japanese comics which we'll probably be talking about today but yeah when that comes out i'll happily do a ken langraf episode but yeah he was a guy and i think of like other writers that you would just do it and put it out there because you know it will haunt dollar bins but you know at a certain point you would go to the store and go like oh wow the Michael Jackson story and it's just like a single <laughs> issue just to trick people because no one really wants comics like that
0: not really like I definitely didn't and I, I didn't think I'd ever enjoy one as much as I did with uh, the mm. fifth beetle
1: now was this picked up at a library or did you just find it used which is usually how you get all your comics
0: I actually bought a copy for my mom oh. uh, for not this past Christmas but the one before and I actually don't know if she read it or not I was it was just sitting around I'm gonna thought, say no Probably (laughs) not. I... (laughs) You know, I don't know if she actually got around to reading it yet or not, mm-hmm. but I saw it sitting around and thought, a rare case where I didn't read a thing before gifting it to someone. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, wait, so you're doing
1: like a Homer and like buying gifts for other people that you're like, I would like to read this. Uh, this is tangentially related to something they like.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here's uh, the bowling ball story, uh, a biography of industrial <laughs> design. I don't know. That could exist someday. So, uh, so what have you been reading?
1: For me, I've been going on kind of a manga kick. I don't want to mm. say that I'm reading manga every episode, even though I've been doing a lot, mm-hmm. and real like baby basics first manga. So, like, I went into the library system. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna read some Naruto, some Bleach, you know, these things that were popular and that I've heard about, but they were, I think, a little bit after my time. Like, those ones, like, I think I was probably past being a teenager when they got really popular. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of skipped over stuff like Yu Gi Oh! I'm not gonna read Yu Gi Oh! manga because I don't think they're. It's really known as like having a firm authorship. I'm starting to sweat now because I'm starting to talk about manga because I'm like, people are taking notes. (laughs) I'm not an expert on this kind of stuff.
0: I didn't even know Yu-Gi-Oh! was a manga, but it is a phenomenal show to watch, ironically. Ironically, <laughs> you're getting me into trouble here, uh, Mike. Okay. Come on.
1: So it's I fun. It's a hoot and a half. Had Dragon Ball sitting on my shelf for a couple months mm-hmm. now, and I decided, all right, let's go back. I want to read the series that I read when I was a kid in a very all over the place fashion, in the sense that, like, I didn't have a volume one or two or three, so I could just get whatever volume was published in French. It was actually very available in French. Oh, wow. That surprises me. Oh, uh, wow. You you don't know that France is huge when it comes to comic books. Oh, that I know. I've read many. So much manga gets licensed as well. That's impressive. In Takabon form. So like the little book forms too. That's how it was published. Wow. Which at the time, which was probably the mid-90s, I don't Mm -hmm. even know if that was happening with regularity in terms of manga in English and I'm trying to I don't think they were they may have not even been flipped either I think they were read in the original format as well mm-hmm. so I said all right let me sit down and read it And I was shocked like I had known the first volume which was what was adapted into the Dragon Ball series that played in English. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever saw uh-huh. it. Yes, yes. And then I think they basically like skipped to Dragon Ball Z as far as like syndication and what became popular. And so all this stuff is new to me. Like just reading through uh you know Goku going to so many tournaments and stuff like that and it being more related to Akira Toriyama's gag style mangas that he did in Dr. Slump, which was his, you know, popular series before this mixed Mm -hmm. in with the fighting that would come to define his work in Dragon Ball Z that's known in North America
0: or Dragon Ball Z in Canada
1: yeah exactly Mm -hmm. and they're split up too if you want to read them that like there's dragon ball and there's dragon ball z and there's also dragon ball super which akira toriyama is kind of like uh, i'm the supervisor on it i believe <laughs> is his role and that's currently being published now so mm-hmm. lots of dragon ball to go and oh yeah it's great would definitely uh recommend it to anyone who's like well is it too popular the thing about popular things is they're probably popular for a reason. So I would recommend you checking them out. And I love the manga kind of format because it's like one specific authorship. Mm -hmm. And Dragon Ball is kind of tainted, especially the Z version, which have you heard that? I don't remember what it's called, but they released DVD versions where they went, oh, we cut out all the filler
0: episodes where they're just powering up. Now, God... You know what? I don't want to go on a tangent about this. I could rant about this for like No, minutes. rant, rant. Uh, okay. yeah, give us at least a couple minutes. For sure, yeah. If, if anyone who's interested in collecting Dragon Ball Z on DVD or Blu-ray, it is a nightmare mm-hmm. to keep track of the different versions. There are so many like... Uh, like... Is it Dragon Ball Kai? Is that one of the versions? Yeah, so Dragon Ball Kai is the version Justin described where they took all 300-ish episodes of Dragon Ball Z edited out a lot of the filler to cut it down to, I think, 145 episodes. That's a that's, that's half cut down. That's a half cut down. Um, I haven't watched any of it. I, you know, am almost tempted to if I ever want to do a rewatch, uh, you know, maybe at some point, but... Well, it's basically them admitting that, like, there are a lot of filler stuff in this, where they're just, like, yeah.
1: powering up for an entire episode. Right, which
0: they had to do in the original episodes to let the anime catch up to the manga. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. And... Now, I have no issue with uh, cutting down episodes. I think it's an interesting way to rewatch it. What I have issue with is that all the DVD and Blu-ray versions have done something screwy to the image. Either, like, cropping it down into 16 by 9 well, on some of the releases. Isn't there
1: something as well that, like, they lost the elements for the original episode, so they look like crap? Or was it the sound elements? It was something like that.
0: Something like that, where, like, yeah, there's one set of releases where I think they just took, like, DVD rips of an earlier release, and they look oh awful. Oh, my God. And they tried to use some motion <laughs> smoothing on them and crop them down but you're saying that miles. you're haunted by all this. Yeah. But
1: you started this rant with, but I haven't watched them yet. <laughs> did you watch
0: them while they were in syndication? Oh, I mean, like on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Abso- on YTV. Did YTV. They show them? Yep, they did. Yeah. Uh, but uh, y- you can never like keep up with it. Uh, in its entirety i mean i'd watch it when i could Mm -hmm. because it played every day i believe it was every single day Mm -hmm. and if i had some after school activity it's like well i guess i won't see uh chapter 17 of the cell saga today or something
1: yeah they're probably powering Mm -hmm. up (laughs) though. so (laughs) you're not (laughs) missing too much when it comes to that kind of stuff exactly vegeta what does the scouter say about his power level
0: it's over nine thousand
1: so let's get into ranma one half that's correct Uh, I'm going to say that every time I try to say the title of this manga. Now, I picked this one only because it seemed omnipresent when I was coming up as a kid reading Dragon Ball. And it seemed everywhere. A friend even gave me a bootleg DVD of Ranma one-half episodes. And Mm -hmm. I remember watching a few and I was like, eh, I don't know, I'm not in the mood. He didn't really sell it to me that well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the basic premise of this manga is there is a young man named Ranma. He and his father, while training in China, fell into a cursed lake?
0: Like an endless series of cursed pools. Yes, and each
1: pool has a different curse, and the curse that he fell into changes him into a girl when he gets hit by cold water. And if he gets by hot water, he turns back into a boy.
0: His father fell into a pond where a panda drowned and now... Similarly, he turns into a panda whenever mm-hmm. he gets splashed with cold water. Every single one of these ponds turns the person into something. And this is something that goes on
1: throughout this manga. Now, I will say yeah. right from the get-go, I have not read every Ranma uh, one-half uh, episode
0: because
1: I think there is 38, 37 volumes of it?
0: It's in the mid-30s somewhere. Yeah, it is a long, long series. Okay, so how
1: yeah. much do we need to explain manga here to new listeners? Or uh, even like the idea <laughs> of what manga is. I think people know, like, oh, Japanese comics. Yeah. I have an idea of what that is. Mm-hmm. But then do we need to put down, like, okay, so the way that Japanese manga. Manga? Am I saying it incorrectly? Manga? Manga. I'm, I, I'm sure I'm saying it in the incorrect way. I even wrote it down in my notes <laughs> to be like, oh, this is the way you're supposed to say it after looking at pronunciations.
0: Manga, I think, is the way that it's supposed to say, not manga. Let's say manga. But you know what? I, I have 90s nostalgia for saying manga, so I'll let <laughs> so it you're slide. So gonna, you're going to hold on <laughs> to
1: these incorrect uh, ways that you're supposed to say these words. For sure. Or Yeah. So it's published usually in a weekly format. <laughs> hmm and that weekly format can have 20 pages, and that that's why it can go on for like 38 volumes, usually behind a writer-artist. Uh, but there's also ones that are a writer and an artist collaborating together. And then you also have 4 to 10 assistants, which I don't think they're usually credited that help do stuff like... It depends on what
0: the issue is, like backgrounds, or sometimes just all the inking. Sometimes maybe even the penciling. It depends on the artist. So yeah, a lot of them have assistance, and some of you may have heard of uh, something called Shonen Jump, which is this ins- very, very decades-long-running uh, weekly comic anthology, and it's like the size of a phone book. Mm-hmm. And when I was in Tokyo, I just made a point of like grabbing the couple I could, you know, when I could. Do and- you still have them? Uh, no, I've gotten rid of all Yeah, those stuff. are the just first things that you go the like... cheapest paper stock you I'm could I'm never possibly... going to read this. It's like, like... <laughs> I
1: believe that for a while there was an American Shonen Jump mm-hmm. magazine. It was also the size of a phone book. But it's yeah. gotten to the point that I, I think they've mostly switched to online distribution. I mean, definitely in English. Because they seemingly have like a hundred new stories published every week now.
0: Oh, yeah. And a lot of the most known, most famous mangas that you probably heard of mm, especially uh, like
1: new mangas yeah. that came out like you know in the 80s to the 90s were published in a shonen publication yeah
0: or or just a, like equivalent thereof and so there are a lot that might have died in the vine and maybe only had like a single story arc uh and then based on you know how certain news storylines were received oh, those... audience polls are very important in those magazines absolutely and that's where you get series like this, or Dragon Ball, or, mm-hmm. or or One Piece, to use a contemporary example, that would just drag on for years and years hey, and years. how and years. dare
1: you say drag <laughs> on? I've actually read One Piece up to... Volume thirty three. I'm still waiting for the next book to come at the library. Have
0: they found the One Piece yet? No, they have oh. not found the One Piece yet. <laughs> there has been a major
1: time jump, but I haven't gotten to that part yet. I okay. accidentally
0: read it. I'm like, no, I spoiled myself. Have you read One Piece? It's very good. I, I did read like the very first volume and it was brand mm. new and watched like the first season of the anime. I absolutely loved it. So I'm not actually slagging One Piece. In <laughs> oh, any way. okay.
1: But I do think that like you know, One Piece is an example of the artist like loves doing One Piece. Mm-hmm. That's all he talks about. I think other mangas or mangakas is the way that I've seen it written out. Like it feels like they're in shackles being dragged to do like up to 35 volumes of it.
0: Yeah, there was a popular rumor in the 90s that the reason Dragon Ball Z was dragging on for so long was that Akira Toriyama had some sort of like debt that could never be repaid. No. Um, until, and and did some uh, 1001 Arabian Nights style thing where the moment the Dragon Ball Z ended, he'd have to pay back the debt from his Dragon Ball Z earnings, so he ensured that it would never end. This is a completely <laughs> apocryphal and made-up yes. schoolyard rumors, of course.
1: But what is but, true is yeah. that the manga artists, when they're working on these things, are seemingly dying, and they only sleep, like, three hours a night, and that if you look at many manga artists usually die from, like, uh, overwork. Mm. Like, I, it hasn't been confirmed, but that's what most people think happened to the author of Berserk, a very oh, popular manga series that ran for a very long time, who he kept having to take, like, long breaks due to his health oh he passed away and then? yeah he did pass away oh, I didn't and know it, it. it's continued under someone else because okay. they're like we can't let berserk go oh wow but yeah berserk is a you know great medieval uh skeleton fighting monster fighting manga that has inspired basically everything mm-hmm. <laughs> like all the Dark Souls, Elden Ring games, like that big sword, that's from Berserk. And that's another thing that we should specify is that I think that people who haven't read that much manga have an idea of what manga is in their head. And it, it, it can like fall within certain tropes, and especially if you're talking about shonen, which is very specifically targeted to like teen boys and is usually fighting manga. But you can get all sorts of manga, and a lot of it is getting publications in English-friendly things. And also, let's be honest here, if you really want any of the mangas that we mention here, if you type the title of that and manga into Google, the first website will be Viz, which you should subscribe if it's published there, Mm. because you can read it in in English uh, officially. And the second one will be some fan translation that you can Mm -hmm. just click on and read very easily as well.
0: Actually, that's a good transition to talk about why those exist, which was that there was very little of it being translated in the 1990s. And so people would know that such and such an awesome thing existed, and it just wasn't available. Or if it was available, it was phenomenally expensive or hard to find. And uh, the like pre-World like, Wide Web internet really communicated and took upon itself to translate a ton of very hard to find manga. And often the versions you'll find online still will be will be those versions with some like very pixelated uh like old ariel or helvetica or courier font over you the, the feel orbelous. that whited
1: out uh panel yeah as, as they just kind like, of quickly typed it in there's too many swear words mm. that was a thing that happened a lot in uh fan translated anime as well <laughs> which uh yeah a lot of words that oh boy uh shouldn't have been translated in that manner <laughs> and Just before we get to the actual book under uh, discussion, I think it is fun to talk about, like, Ranma was one of the first uh, mangas that was translated and published in North America. The first one technically was one called My The Psychic Girl, and that kind of like open the floodgates it wasn't the first one i think barefoot jen had an english translation before then okay
0: i never read that one or my
1: uh but like the psychic girl like it kind of opened the floodgates in a Mm. way but it didn't open them in the way that you would expect because mike can speak to this more than i can but when manga was originally published it was published usually bi-weekly and in the classic comic book format
0: yeah so they would take i believe two chapters at a time of rama and viz comics i mean yeah and uh publish them in like traditional comic book size north american comic books at a cost of about, uh, we just looked this up, two twenty-five an issue. But this is at a time when Marvel and DC books were still a dollar or a dollar twenty-five. So that was quite an investment if someone wanted to get into it.
1: And you probably looked at it and went, "This doesn't look like the comics that I'm reading." If you're reading them in the mid '80s, because after that, every North American artist is just copying manga style. That is like the definition of the image, kind of like. Taking in those manga stylings and putting them into North American right. comics. Right.
0: Yeah. So at the same time that Ranma and others started being published here and translated in like comic book size, like that coincided with the image comics boom that we talked about in an mm-hmm. earlier episode, where it's a lot of, you know, style over substance you know warts and all because like i think they're taking works, the idea yeah and
1: i think of just like speed lines and things like that yeah, which giant you never saw splash before. pages mm-hmm. and things like that yeah. and that's because you know before the 80s like the big comic book publishers like dc and marvel they had a house style mm-hmm. that you didn't usually break out of too much and i mean <laughs> he keeps getting mentioning every episode but like jim shooter was a big proponent of that at marvel which is like very simple grids don't get fancy just tell the story and you know don't, you know, rock any boats mm-hmm. when it comes to kind of storytelling. And that was not the case with manga, which can be done on a big canvas, has many different styles as well. Like, I can't really go into all the drawing styles that you can find in this stuff because that is a historical perspective that is way over my head. And if I Mine try to as well.
0: <laughs> explain it, that people are going to be like,
1: oh, wait, no, you're actually incorrect. And it's like, OK,
0: I understand. And we're not experts. We're just fine.
1: Yep, that's right. It's right there in the title. But I mm-hmm. should say that like, so there's shonen manga, and there's a bunch of like different kinds that include like shoujo manga, which is targeting adolescent girls and young women, seinen manga targeting young adult and adult men, and uh, Jose or Jose manga targeting adult women. So they are like kind of categorized in those different things. Mm-hmm. Ranma One and a Half, you may look at it and go, oh, this is definitely shoujo manga, right? Uh, nope. Technically, it's shonen manga because it has the structure of mm. that thing for boys. It just happens to be... A, through a kind of a women's perspective
0: and i think it had a lot of crossover appeal in that regard like mm-hmm. i had some of my like female comic reading friends in high school loved ranma mm. it was their absolute favorite series
1: well that's and... the thing about manga is that like even if the perspective yeah. a lot is oh this is for boys like the story goes that gundam when it first started airing in japan it was really women that made it incredibly popular because mm-hmm. they could could enjoy this as much as anyone else. Like, you don't need to put it in these boxes.
0: Yeah, so I think the demographics of, of those systems didn't necessarily translate to North America mm. the way that it might have in Japan.
1: Well, when you were reading uh, manga and it was first started coming to North America and was more accessible to you, mm-hmm. do you remember being aware of it? Like, When was the first time you realized, oh, this is from Japan, it's different than the North American comics I usually read?
0: That's a really good question. I, I mean... Right away, just looking at it, yeah. I knew. But were you like, oh, I don't want this because it looks different than, you know, My Amazing Spider Man? Not at all, but weirdly, I think that was a draw, mm. n- not a repellent at all. Mm-hmm. I just saw you know Ronman number one sticking out in the rack at uh, a silver snail young in Eglinton when they had an uptown location wow they did? they did I had no idea I mean silver snail is like a closet now rest yeah in peace. there was like four around the city I think four locations. wow yeah it was like a franchise one in Windsor one in like do you know? know they publish comics I have what? some comics that have silver snail in the corner of it. I'll show you after oh, okay. yeah. yeah yeah it's just <laughs> 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 Yeah, and I don't think you guys can see it here on the podcast, but Justin's holding uh, some early Viz issues here. The coloring is really dynamic.
1: I really hope that they can't see it right now, which means they're looking through my window as we're <laughs> recording this. You so mean the covers the, are very dynamic? Ra-
0: rather the covers, not the coloring. Yeah, for something that was not intended to be published in single issues, Viz and Eclipse and whatnot did a great job of like making them look really, really dynamic. And I think that another
1: publisher that's not Viz—so Viz is a Japanese company. Mm -hmm. So they're under ownership of uh, like Japanese business conglomerate. And I think they got in because they went through Eclipse International. Eclipse being a comic book line.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think later, Viz opened a North American office Mm -hmm. in Seattle or somewhere. Maybe Vancouver even. Uh, I can't remember. I
1: am not sure where Viz is located. But I do know another company that made manga very popular was Dark Horse. Mm -hmm. Now, Dark Horse, just like Viz was doing a cardinal sin, though, that you never see anymore, which is they were flipping the books. Now, do you remember this being a big issue when you saw your first, like,
0: from back to the front book so i did not know that was a thing at all mm-hmm. at the time and actually as some of you remember from a previous episode i was a huge huge fan of dark horse comics and so he did pick up a lot of scattered issues that they were putting out
1: we should say that like dark horse was doing kind of like heroic work of trying to bring international comics mm-hmm. to american shores they also had their uh, cheval noir anthology book that had like french comics like you know comics from all over the world and f- for the first time in English translations mm-hmm. and so like when you saw like an unflip book when would that have become the norm in English
0: I don't think it, it took a while wait let's let's describe what that is first mm-hmm. for people who doesn't who don't know um, in Japan comic books are read right to left I, I think it's all books really are read that's... probably right to left <laughs> yeah. that's true and even I, I just any keep forgetting uh, you pick up success... now yeah. you'll
1: look at the back and it'll say hey this is the last page flip to the front Um, And even some of the earlier ones, every page has an arrow saying, read in this direction. Mm -hmm. Not really anymore, but like the old volumes of Slam Dunk I have do have the on every page says, no, read this way.
0: And even aside from the page direction, you have to keep in mind that even word balloons and other sort of contextual things in terms of where your eye is supposed to go next, Mm -hmm. everything is supposed to go from like right to left, top down. Did you find it difficult when you started reading like that? I think it does take a moment. I don't think I read a single thing in the 90s that was not flipped for Americans.
1: So I'm happy that Dark Horse brought all of these books, but they flipped all of the books that they brought. And the ones they still have in print are still flip. Like, if you get their Blade of the Immortal hardcovers that they're mm-hmm. putting out, they're all flip comics. Because they're probably the version they originally did when they released them in the single issues. Yeah. Same thing with Appleseed, which uh, I believe you could probably get it in the original version. But mm-hmm. the, like, first few printings that they did were, uh, you know, in the classic North American from front back I say front to back it doesn't really mean anything because a Japanese manga the front is our back yes but yeah that uh, Appleseed was a also and Ghost in the Shell a massive influence on all of the artists that would then go into the 90s and do that kind of stuff as well oh totally
0: and you you use the phrase cardinal sin there but you know it it honestly never really bothered me like even when I found out from some you know pedantic kid at school oh you know you're reading them the wrong way the artists would probably
1: say that it's an (laughs) issue for them because they're laying it out to be read in a certain Way that's And true. when you're making everything backwards and also have to move kind of like uh, the bubbles of dialogue and stuff like that, it kind of throws off the way that it's supposed to flow through the page.
0: True, true. But like, I guess for God's th- trying to say is, is
1: flip all the books. He's frustrated <laughs> having to read
0: them from uh, back to front. I'm very happy they are publishing them correctly now and like just back to Ranma the whole first I guess like 36 volumes or something were published in the American style Mm -hmm. left to right and it's only these more recent printings since I think I read 2014 where they're combining two volumes into a single volume yep that they're published uh, right to left in the first time only
1: now some people may be a little bit peeved about this version as well because and I'm gonna have a controversial opinion here Mm
0: -hmm. They have kept the uh, American lettering of sound effects. Oh, interesting! I never really thought about that. The onomatopoeia of things. Yes. is going to be updated for North well, American crowd too. Well, if you
1: read like the Berserk Dark Horse comics, okay, they actually have, and a lot of comics usually do this now, unless it's like very popular. Mm-hmm. They have the Japanese sound effect, and then underneath it, usually in a font that resembles it, they have the sound effect, like the you know, sounding it out. This is a controversial opinion. I kind of like it when they change it to the English, um, you know, sound effects. Only because when I read the little sound effect underneath it, it makes me think that the sound effect is small.
0: Oh, that's if, a good point. If you know what it, what yeah. I mean. Like, this is great here. Zoop!
1: Yeah, I'm looking at it right here. It's, now. For again, a comical
0: book series like this, the, the the like big translated sound effects... After saying so that a
1: cardinal sin is uh, flipping the book, I'm saying, Oh yeah, but remove all the sound effects <laughs> that the artist actually <laughs> intended for these books and replace them with English understandable even though like the sound effects they don't really you know what's your opinion on sound effects do you do your eyes just kind of glance over them when you read
0: them no i read every single one but do you the book do you try to sound it out in your mind absolutely and the book that made me fall in love with sound effects was uh incredible hercules which was uh perhaps just intended as a miniseries that ran for wound up running for like 30 issues mm. by greg pack and fred van Lenti in uh probably the early 2000s And they made a point of just going insane with sound effects. Wow. And it's a really, like, it is like pure comic book comic books. Interesting. And uh, they made up a lot of new words that then, you know, became like memes in their own right or having people duplicate those effects later and things like that. Well, like sound
1: effects in manga have also become their own kind of like, oh, this is the sound effect for drinking something or like soup even which mm. I am not aware of them. So probably these Ranma ones are completely wrong. And they're, the, they're kind of like the Americanized versions of those. Mm. Uh, and there's a lot like Klong. And well, whoever lettered these, like they did try to make it match the scene, which I really appreciate.
0: Yeah, earlier when there was the skeleton putting the hand on the shoulder and says, clack, it has a bony looking uh, yes. look about the font. I think That's yeah, great. One
1: Piece has the sound effects translated into English as well, because... Uh, manga is something and I only noticed when I was really getting into it a few years ago they translate every they use sound effects as a transitional sound in the way that you would think like cinematically Hmm. so like a big cut to like a two page spread they'll be like
0: doom,
1: as like the big <laughs> sound effect, which is not motivated by anything, but it's just motivated by the cut from panel to panel. And like, if I did a cut in a movie and I wanted to like accentuate it in a stylistic way, you would put a sound effect on it. Oh, that's Like, great. think of like an Edgar Wright film when there's like cuts or swooshes. Mm-hmm. They do that just through sound effects, which is something that is really interesting in American comics, do not do. Yeah,
0: I think my favorite sound effect I've ever seen in an American comic book was uh, right after the, I mean, fairly forgettable Simpsons movie came out. Mm-hmm. Remember that scene with... You know, Marge asking what "epa" meant, and yeah. you see the comic shop guy having a breakfast with her and saying, "Oh, that was the sound Sinestro made—an issue, whatever, whatever, whatever—as he like, you know, blasted something, something." And then whoever was drawing like the mainline Green Lantern book at the time did mm-hmm. add an "epa" sound oh, effect, yeah, so like that's some funny. like Sinestro splash page, which is pretty awesome. Hey,
1: I was gonna say, is there any like iconic sound effects that you love? I mean, a "snick," which is Wolverine getting Snicks his claws is great. out, "bam," "swip," yeah. "swip," "swip." When
0: Spider-Man uses his uh, web shooters, absolutely. Actually, that's interesting that you mentioned the like iconic Japanese sound effects. Like, mm-hmm. I think if I was reading more manga, I might have noticed more of that over like my comic reading lifetime but those things have never popped up for me i'm gonna be looking for those now
1: and okay. so did you like seek out any manga because you said you were interested in ranma when it came out mm-hmm. but
0: it sounds like you know
1: you would read it here or there but it wasn't anything that like you pursued that
0: yeah, much. well the main issue was it is it was so expensive in the 90s so incredibly Ridiculously expensive, in the expensive. 90s. there were no collections of it at all yeah at all. I think in like, the mid
1: 90s, Viz started to do kind of like the classic paperback style. Yeah. But even those were probably pretty expensive and direct market. Like they, I don't, I think it took a while before they were able to kind of penetrate that, you know, retail book market. Which they have done now, and now it's like all manga, and you know, mm-hmm. North American comics, or even you are just like a tiny little section.
0: Yeah, even when like the first volumes of translated, like the first trade paperbacks of A Ghost in the Shell and Akira started to come out, they were such horrible quality, like newsprint style, like worse than the Marvel Essentials. Well, you know that Marvel and... published
1: Akira. Oh, did In they? a prestige format, and they colorized it. Oh, my God. I yes. kind of like to read that, actually. But people actually kind of like the color, because wow. the person who was doing it was very conscious, even though that like that art is never meant to be colored. Mm. So it looks weird, but they were trying to do something. And there were like a few hardcovers that were published of it, but mm. they're very uh, difficult to get now, and you can still get them in single issues. So if you go to our local comic book shop in the basement the Beguiling, they have a bunch of Akiras oh, wow. kind of uh, sitting there oh, uh, from the original versions. That's another thing is that like I think that you know, a lot of North American readers are like, well, this isn't colored. Like, does this mean that it's, you know, something that's indie? Because that's what you usually associate with black and white comics, like Outlaw Comics or even Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and all the comics that followed in that wake. That's really a direct market thing. It's not something that has a lot of kind of popular appeal. So I can understand why it would make it a little bit difficult for, you know, manga to get a foothold like that as well. And I think that if we're talking about like, Globally, historically, what made manga more accessible? It's anime. It was the popularity of anime, stuff like uh, Pokemon or Dragon Ball that made it, people go, oh, well, I want to read the manga versions of this. And now it's like everywhere. For me, again, like I said, manga was always kind of present, but at a certain point in my life, I think I went, oh, oh there's too much of it. Like, I can't read it. It's not really accessible to mm-hmm. me. To go into these online places and have to read, you know, reams of it, it felt too intimidating, I think. So mm-hmm. like, Ron is something that I've only read for the first time maybe a year ago. I actually read the first uh, one and two volume that I got from the library. Mm. So after that big historical perspective, we can actually get into what the comic is. It is a violent and dark, no, no, no. <laughs> It is, as the premise would make you think, a very light, fluffy comic book that is just very fun to read and is a great kind of like what is manga. I find it a little bit, you know, intimidating if you're thinking that. I think Rama is a good one to go to because it has all of the aesthetics of manga, but also presented in a very clear fashion that is kind of Rumiko Takahashi's trademark.
0: Yeah, she said that she specifically wanted to create something that was very grounded and down-to-earth and accessible, like Mm -hmm. in contrast to all the sort of action and adventure ones that were coming out at the time. And it absolutely succeeds in that. It's just really cozy... And relatable and set in, like, you know, at the time, present day Tokyo. And we should also say that I kind of set it
1: up with, mm-hmm. oh, wow, it's a boy that turns into a girl. And yeah. it's like, yes, that is the basic kind of log line of it. It's a martial arts comic. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's comedy and it's martial arts and kind of like physical gags. And I think that was the entryway for a lot of people in North America that of like, I can only imagine people going, What well, it's about a boy turning into a girl, especially in the 90s, and then you would say a word that everyone was saying as a descriptor for it. Mm-hmm.
0: Which Rumiko Takahashi has uh, has said repeatedly. There's no sort of gender-related message here at all intended. She, but I do think yeah. that people read into it. It's a- which is absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. And
1: yeah. 100% fine, but she has said that she didn't have that idea when she was going into it, even though that, like, masculinity, what it means to be male, the fact that, basically, this is this comic, which is, you know, for teenagers, it's filled with nudity, but it's only nudity from Ranma uh, herself when, or, he, or himself, I don't, they, when they transform.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, she said that the idea of not just Ranma, but all the other characters changing with these water curses was more rooted in folklore Mm -hmm. and how transformation via curse or intent is such a part of mythologies of so many cultures. And that was the idea here was just to sort of, you know, create a slice of life story that is sort of tinged with folklore creeping into it.
1: I think we should also mention that uh, Romiko Takahashi is like a legend of manga Mm -hmm. just like she got it started with a series that was translated a very early on urusei yatsura which is have you ever seen this comic it's a gag comic i have i i read like a couple a bit of it and Mm -hmm. uh that comic is basically aliens come down to earth and challenge them to like i think it's a game of tag in the first few chapters and the alien uh whose name is uh Lum is portrayed by a attractive woman wearing a like leopard bikini it's,
0: it's- very like 60s pop mm-hmm. kind of
1: and it's just a gag comic i've read the first volume and like a lot of uh these early Uh, Takahashi mangas I'm like wait it goes on for like dozens more like what could they possibly be about but she figured it out and they were very popular and that first one which she started when she was a college student wow. and that like she didn't have a weekly schedule because she couldn't meet those deadlines Mm. and the publishers were like oh it's fine just you know take your time it's making us a lot of money we just just, (laughs) you know do it at at your own pace and so that one lasted from 1978 to 1987 it's 34 volumes concurrently with that one she did a romantic comedy manga called Maison Maison Ikoku, and that one ran from 1980 to 1987. That was only 15 volumes. And I think it was translated recently in English because I have a copy sitting on my shelf where I'm like, oh, this is interesting because other than this and maybe one shots that she's done, most of her work is in that kind of like shounen fight, you know, fantasy kind of area. She also did one, and speaking of stuff that passes over, uh, Inuyasha, is incredibly popular. Completely oh, missed yeah. me.
0: I, I've seen a couple of the movies, just going in blind, like with no context of the series. They're they're really really fun. Mm-hmm. I didn't really understand what was going on, but uh, why would you that's go see great. the
1: movies without any context? Well, not in theaters. Oh, just I like... thought you were sitting in theaters and watching it. But even then, why not? And like, because I r- recently saw a sketch that uh, my partner Emily did with her friends, and there was a joke about that anime. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I guess it was that popular that it's like really imprinted. I guess people, uh, the people on her are maybe five to ten years younger than her. So that's the people that it made an impact on. Mm-hmm. And so we also have, and that was after Ranma 1.5, basically Ranma 1.5 is the one that kind of like set the template of like comedy and action that she would follow for the rest of her career. And the action in this stuff is so much fun. When I think of martial arts and comics, for a long time I was like... They just can't really do it. I remember when I was a kid and I would read like Spider-Man's or any image comics, and I would savor that like one page of the idea of action because they didn't really do it that much, right?
0: And it's uh, harder and more complicated to draw often mm-hmm. than characters standing around talking.
1: But in manga, when you have so much more real estate to play with when it comes to page count and a like
0: historically simpler line style mm-hmm.
1: too, that they can do so much with the like what action can do on the page Mm -hmm. now this is you know i'm saying this and there are a lot of even marvel artists that maybe i'll even talk about next episode who did really good action but classically when we or i was reading comics action in something like young blood was not good it was just like one pose maybe there's speed lines and there's a punch but the idea of like choreography and a back and forth and a rising action didn't really exist but it does exist in something like rama one and a half
0: hugely so even Like
1: in the first volume, it's pretty basic as far as like the conflicts that arise. Uh, Ranma was promised by his father to a uh, another person that owns a dojo, and he has to technically be the fiance of a young girl named Akane, who obviously doesn't like Ranma.
0: That's where the conflict. uh, It's a uh, will they or won't they? You got to read all thirty-seven volumes to find out. (laughs) and the like personality dichotomy there is really interesting because Akane is the tomboy mm-hmm. of this she
1: has no interest in you know men or anything like that she is interested in being a top fighter mm-hmm. and that she promised the people at her school that if they can defeat her she'll go on a date with them which means that she has to fight all the boys in school every day at the beginning of class but Eff- effortlessly she, as well effortlessly yeah. yeah she's very good at what she does mm-hmm. We're also introduced to Ryoga, who hates Rama, and it's uh, revealed because he stole like the last food when they were in class.
0: <laughs> yeah, at the, like the lunch call every day when they were little kids, mm-hmm. Rama would get there first and get like the last, uh, you know, sticky rice bun or red bean bun or whatever Ryoga wanted that day. Rama would get the last one first, and he's now his rival. But it's like a one-sided rival. We yeah,
1: <laughs> Rama doesn't care about this, <laughs> yeah. but Ryoga wants to challenge him all the time. And what's important to know about this character is he has a terrible sense of direction. Mm-hmm. So he arrives for everything late. And also he fell into the curse thing that turns him into, I- him into a small piglet.
0: A very adorable yes. piglet.
1: Who sleeps in the bed <laughs> of...
0: Yeah, so Akane finds him and takes him in as like her pet. Mm-hmm. And so he's basically living in the house with like, his rival. He sleeps rival. in the bed with he sleeps her. sleeps in the bed. Like, just like...
1: Everyone is transforming into yeah. other people. It should be said that Ranma is known by the people that he lives with that he can turn into a girl. Mm -hmm. Like that is known to them and a lot of comedic fodder comes out of that. Every other transformation that characters have, no one knows about it, and it leads to confusion and people falling in love with the other half, but then they hate the other person. We didn't even get uh, into Shampoo, the Chinese Amazon that becomes obsessed with Ranma, the uh, girl version, but hates the male version of Ranma, who she has given the kiss of death.
0: Yeah, and uh, there's a later character who really likes her, and his name is Moose. Get a shampoo and moose, and he turns into a duck when he gets wet. And you know, This is one of those How ducks drown in a pond <laughs> that's part of the humor value
1: yeah. <laughs> i know how the author said that there isn't like any kind of gender politics in this stuff mm-hmm. but like if you read it there's also a character who codes herself as male but is actually a woman because she's obsessed with ranma but she also wants to kill ranma so i think it's all there and i think that like i was reading a few kind of uh our essays about this through a trans perspective that mm-hmm. like some people you know if you read it As a text and kind of analyze it, it is kind of negative in the way that like Ranma switches back and forth very easily and that like he doesn't really like being a woman, like he hates it when he turns into a woman. But at the same time, other people, whether, you know, the base of it is kind of like eh, misleading. They found it very inspiring for their own identity. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we can't speak to that, obviously, no, but no. I was curious about like, what kind of impact did this have to people who were reading it when they were growing up and were maybe looking for a perspective like this and could not find it in any positive light anywhere?
0: That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, the transformation aspect and the gender aspect didn't really jump out at me at all. I thought mm. like the action was just so much fun. Oh, so and the good. choreography. And like you said earlier, nothing is played for sexiness's sake. At, well maybe like, Ronma
1: transforming. Like, well
0: Or is it just more for like comedic value? Yeah, like there's comedic value in the situations, mm-hmm. but nothing in here is really meant to titillate. No. Like, at I think all. And
1: all the kind of like romance in it is yeah. very childish romance of like, oh, I love this person so much and I want to be with them forever. There's no kind of like at least in these early volumes, this changes later on mm-hmm. when there's like you know, old masters who are very horny and are kind of parodies of that that come into play.
0: Yeah, I I wasn't a fan of those characters. Once they enter, it just seems like a little too tropey. And like the series seems better than that.
1: But like Ranma is at its core almost a parody of these kind of comics Mm -hmm. while still being very successful as a comic like this. Like something this light and kind of breathy on the surface doesn't need to also work as an action piece, but it does. And that just makes the comedy more funny mm-hmm. because the comedy is coming out of like really great action. Like the third and fourth volume. Have a rhythmic gymnastic uh, martial arts battle, which has some wild twists and turns in it. And then also have a ice skating battle where, well, the ice at one point breaks and <laughs> oh, Ranma doesn't want to get wet because people will, will, will be revealed of his um, female identity. So it, there's all these like different ways that the author figures out to kind of approach these things.
0: I love the implication that every like hockey and figure skating rink is actually frozen water and not just <laughs> chemicalized. That is what is the implication <laughs> (laughs) in that issue which is just like a pool of water underneath it's also like it played for comedy how many possible ways there are to get wet around tokyo oh man (laughs) there are so
1: many ways according to this comic book
0: yes like you just walk out in public and you will get splashed with water in any number of comical ways so i think that
1: anything I want people to come away from this is if you're not familiar with manga that you should get Rama one and a half, very easily accessible. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was trying to read this during the pandemic, it actually wasn't, but it's all recently gone back in print. So you can find it at any bookstore very easily. I'm
0: sure the library system has these too. Oh yeah, the they do. Books. And they're
1: very, uh, not expensive. Well, maybe a little bit more than a single one. They're 20 bucks Canadian, and usually I think a manga volume is twelve ninety nine. so you say $3. Oh, my
0: God. So let's do the math. So this two-in-one volume that contains volume one and two now in one volume, I think there's around 14 issues per single volume, so that's 28 issues in this $20 volume. Back in the 90s, 20 issues would have been $2.25 each in 1990s money. So let's do 225 times 28. That's $63, which would be, let's say, about double today. That would be $120 today for those issues. For all of them? For everything in here versus buying (laughs) it in a $20 volume today.
1: Well, I think that's just also the expectation of North American readers. Mm -hmm. The idea of, like oh, well, this is how long comics should be, right? Even though that like from a satisfaction level, that is not the case. Uh, And if somebody wants something like a little bit darker from Takahashi, I would recommend Mermaid Saga, which is really good. And there's only two volumes
0: of that. Now I've seen the animes of that and I didn't know that was a manga as well. Uh, There's two volumes and it was like little short stories that were published uh, kind of all over the
1: place over a number of years. It Mm -hmm. does have a kind of, you know, flowing narrative with main characters. And it's basically like, a a boy and a girl which seemingly are all of her mangas have that kind of pairing of a boy and a girl Mm -hmm. because you had the idea of like well you know boys can read it because there's a boy protagonist and there's also a girl and that they just face mermaids and if you think like oh mermaids yeah I know what that is they sing no 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 these are all like horrifying killing machines (laughs) basically they're different versions of different monsters drawn in her particular style and that comic also has great action in it Mm -hmm. which she made I guess her bread and butter
0: and if anyone's interested in the Ranma anime which ran for oh my god probably hundreds of episodes 300 episodes Uh, If you don't want to dive into the main series, they did about a dozen OVA episodes, and that stands for Original Video Animation.
1: And what that means is that in Japan, OVAs were ways for the companies to make original animation that would go in video and then charge you like $80 US for them.
0: Yeah. And it would only
1: be usually about under an hour, I think. That's a great system. I wish it would bring it back. Oh, pretty much. More original stuff that way.
0: Yeah, yeah. So there are about a dozen like one-off Ronma stories that are not at all connected to the A-plot. They're just like little standalone mini-movies. So it's like you don't need
1: To see you don't technically need to start at the beginning.
0: Yeah, yeah. So those are they're all online. Do you know what they're called? Well, my favorite is called Team Rama versus the Legendary Super Phoenix, which was actually technically not an OVA. It was released as part of a like three and like story anthology film Mm -hmm. after the two Rama feature films. And uh the premise of the story is uh Kuno, a character we didn't mention in our discussion, who's basically like the Reggie of the school. Yeah. He's like the you know rich pompous jerk. He's the head of the Kendo Club, and he like is in love with Lady Ranma, and uh, can't stand Male Ranma. And for some re- reason, almost bordering on magical, he's oblivious to like the transformation of one or the there's other. There's a
1: transformation in front of him. He will not accept it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this one Phoenix storyline, um, which is technically considered the third movie, but it's it's bundled mm-hmm. with all the OVA series. Uh, there's just some sort of magical egg that uh, hatches, and this bird roosts on Kuno's head and won't leave. <laughs> that's And then a just lot? grows and grows and grows and grows and grows, oh, and it becomes okay. this like kaiju-sized thing that's like flying around, terrorizing Tokyo, with this like comatose Kuno just like hanging off the bottom. <laughs> I don't. It's know. really <laughs> weird.
1: <laughs> that's a, much of a selling point. It sounds more like a Junji Ito uh, story it than very much else. is. Yeah, <laughs> that is an author, uh, Junji Ito. I'm probably saying that incorrectly choking shelves mm. at like bookstores
0: yeah he is very prolific he has done so much wonderfully awesome creepy oh, I mean,
1: stuff so good yeah that's one i always recommend to people and but bring come on companies bring older stuff back into print which i hear companies don't want to do why like, is that? they don't think that older manga translated has that much of a selling point hmm. and that they usually go towards newer stuff that has anime because the animes kind of have like the runoff into the mangas. Mm. Cause usually when you see people talk about stuff online, at least in English language circles, it's usually uh, anime forward and then manga afterwards that like, you know, if you see someone talk about Jojo, for example, which is starting to be published or there's a lot in English, they're talking about the anime version of it. And I'm like, Whoa, well, I read the manga. <laughs> I like to get it pure into my veins. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't even mention that like Ranma, had a bunch of video games in North America when no yeah. one
0: knew what it was. Yeah, the first game for Super Nintendo was uh, re-americanized as Street Combat. <laughs> they took every Japanese element and character out of it and just made some utterly generic, like American fighting dudes. The second game, though, that came over untouched. Yeah, it and with it, just all the characters. It, yeah, didn't really have to explain and it. And it, right? it's incredible, and it plays really well. It, it's a very original control scheme, very different and distinct from like a Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat um you can find roms online and it's a really well, fun them game after 24 hours of course on the cartridge yes that's that's the law um and that one's called rama half hard battle mm. uh, for super nintendo came o- I, it's a miracle that that game came over like well, they just need content for the super nintendo i think it was like late in the life i think the super nintendo was on its way out in the n64 so companies were it was probably more a case of like why should we waste the time or money localizing any of this
1: Right. I, that's something that we didn't actually talk about. I think I mentioned the word translation when technically the word I should be using is localization, which that's is very different yeah, yeah. because a localization means to make it uh, culturally understandable for, for example, a North American audience mm-hmm. is that you can't do a literalization of a lot of stuff because it will just kind of bounce off people and they will not understand what it means. Even though I love my manga and anime where suddenly the screen will be filled or the page with context <laughs> explaining what it is or I have to like flip to the back Back and like look at every explanation there's a manga uh, that's drawn and written by Mayoko Anno Hideaki Anno's wife the uh, you know very famous director of you know Shin Godzilla oh God, yeah. Evangelion right, right. and it's all about them living together and him basically being a baby man <laughs> 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 and uh, there are like 30 pages explaining every reference that is mentioned in it oh that's a bit much no I like it because I'm like I don't know what any of these animes or mangas are because they're very specific to like them so I would recommend insufficient direction if you're hardcore
0: (laughs) and want to know that kind of stuff or sometimes a manga will just get lazy and they'll be like uh, you know hey my name's Brock I'm catching Pokemon and eating donuts and it's like (laughs) clearly sushi rolls
1: (laughs) yeah or what is it I think even in Ranma it's like this chow mein uh,
0: sandwich
1: and you're like "That's, that's not what it is that's just an anglicization of it. yeah
0: yeah so justin do we have any letters in the mailbag this week we do have some letters
1: as per usual you can send us letters at the very fine comic book podcast at
0: gmail.com and follow us and or send us messages on instagram at the very fine comic book podcast
1: yeah make sure to Follow us on Instagram and give us a rating and review. There's so many comic book podcasts out there. We need to somehow crawl out of the muck and come to the top.
0: Mm -hmm. So if you're listening on Spotify or Apple or any place that lets you rate a review, that would be wonderful. And please tell a friend.
1: And so our first letter is from Jesse Shearer, and he goes, Howdy, gents. As a longtime devotee to the decluniverse of podcasts and Blu-rays... You have to
0: register that word <laughs> right now.
1: Not-so-subliminal oh, yeah. Gold Ninja Video plug. <laughs> GoldNinjaVideo.com for all your uh, Blu-ray needs. I was elated by the addition of the Very Fine Comic Book Podcast. I've been an indiscriminate comic book reader my whole life, and I've been loving your recommendations. I've already bought the first Astro City Metro book, and I'm currently trying to track down the trades of Archie the Married Life. Good! That's what I want, like, people to listen and be like, oh, I gotta... G- do this kind of stuff yeah yeah
0: and good luck is uh, uh Archie, say, married life is very difficult to get yeah i say that unsarcastically because yeah they're out of print uh, so i hope you can find them
1: but metro book very in print uh very easily accessible because they were printed this year i think or maybe last year okay hmm. and uh every wednesday i look forward to new episodes issues i don't recall if you two came to a consensus did we say that every episode is gonna be called an issue
0: yeah i think episode's fine yeah episode's fine <laughs> <laughs> i
1: love you to tackle justice league international hmm, would that be something that interests you mike
0: that is my favorite comic run of all time
1: and steve gerber's run on the defenders uh any gerber really howard the duck marvel two-in-one hard time we talked about doing we, steve we gerber. did
0: i love all steve gerber i would love to do some steve gerber
1: or mark russell's work for dc and ahoy comics
0: oh mark russell is amazing now have did you read any the of one
1: stuff? with uh jesus as the roommate was that a mark russell comic
0: Oh, uh, yes, that was going to be a Vertigo series, and then Vertigo got cold feet, or oh, DC yeah, got cold feet. it's
1: Jesus and Superman. Yeah, That's yeah. what the premise—it's good. I've read all of it. Okay,
0: yeah, it was moved to, I think, Ahoy Publishing, and uh, Mark Russell, for anyone who doesn't know, um, is an awesome satirist. He wrote this interesting, like, sort of, I guess, fake Bible, you could call it, called God is Disappointed in You, which is a better name for the Bible. And uh, maybe off the strength of that or some other comic work that came later, um, he got a bunch of DC gigs that all came out in a row, such as that Prez miniseries— that oh, yeah, read. I have sitting on my shelf. Yeah, and um, wrote this really acclaimed run on The Flintstones, of all things. Oh,
1: well, that's the one that went very viral, Yeah, where it's like, oh, this is the depressing reality of what The Flintstones would really be like.
0: Yeah, it was like The Flintstones reimagined as like an HBO version mm. of The Flintstones, but still retaining so much charm and How was
1: that wild yeah.
0: Hanna-Barbera
1: uh, reboot? I think DC owned... The rights didn't they? Well,
0: Warner Brothers owns the Hanna Barbera characters, right? So and then
1: DC is also now a Warner Brothers affiliate, so you got like wacky
0: races. But what if Jim Lee drew the cover? Damn, <laughs> yeah, it was like a Mad Max take on wacky mm-hmm. races. Yeah, they did some like oh. really mature takes on a bunch of Hanna Barbera. Wasn't
1: there like a really
0: good one too about like uh,
1: uh, what's his name?
0: Snagglepuss. Snagglepuss. Yeah, yeah where also by Mark critic. Russell.
1: Oh, he wrote that one as well. Yeah, yeah,
0: excellent. Actually, I just read that last week. I probably should have mentioned it in the What Are You Reading? Mm-hmm. Um, really like heartbreaking. It's set during the uh, like uh, communist witch hunt era. Oh, so uh, the, the blacklist era. the blacklist yeah, era. Yeah, yeah. And it is uh, just really mature, really moving. What do you think of the uh,
1: crossover comics they did, where uh, Scott Snyder wrote that like Batman meets Elmer Fudd comic? But he did it like realistically. Oh,
0: okay. I read that one. Yes. Yeah. No, that was Tom King. That was, oh, that was Tom King. And, and that's I it was it, Scott Snyder. For no, some no. Reason. And that's in canon with Tom King's Batman run. That's the <laughs> only one of those that yeah. is. Yeah. Fun stuff. So uh, we'll, we will definitely talk about a Mark Russell book sooner rather than later. Oh yeah, he's one, one of my favorite new The be newer a fun runners. one to, to do. When the Flintstones came out, oh my god, it is so refreshing and it's exciting so depressing and too. Depressing yeah. and. Unlike anything I've ever seen for that kind of comic. Mm.
1: Hyperbole from Mike Wood on the podcast. (laughs) And the letter just finishes up with, I could keep paddling on, but instead I'll just say thank you once more for the fantastic podcast. It is very fine, if not mint. Excelsior, Jesse. Thank
0: you, Jesse. What is Excelsior, Mike? Excelsior is a... form of packing material made of wood shavings (laughs) as far as i know and is also what stan lee used to sign his letters off with uh for reasons unknown to me and he would do it all the time that became his catchphrase yeah excelsior (laughs) he's like get Uh, out of my face that's what it translates to it's basically like like you know styrofoam packing peanuts (laughs) you win a no prize (laughs) did i explain what a no prize was on a previous episode no. Okay. You let's, know what? I won't say save it that. now. I'll save, that for like a, I'll save
1: it for later. Yeah. Maybe if uh, perhaps someone sends a correction, which I recommend not doing. Yes. But if that happens, then I can explain what a no prize
0: is. <laughs> so that's it for this week's episode. And next week, what are we doing, Mike? Next week, we'll be covering one of my favorite seldom seen Marvel characters, Longshot, created Longshot. by Ann Nocenti and Arthur Adams in the mid 80s. And he was very, very born out of the, I would say, like, really gritty, like, taxi driver era New York City. And felt something, like, something so unique for Marvel Comics at the time.
1: Well, now, you're explaining it as if the character will be gritty and dark. But he's the opposite of that. He's the
0: opposite, which is what lends it such a, like you know refreshing contrast and lightness about it
1: and if people are like well long shot it's x-men it's x-men we're gonna talk about x-men next week yeah yeah i'm gonna make mike put uh x-men's long shot in the title <laughs> just so they'll know what it is
0: well that's what this volume of it is called even though not a single <laughs> x-man or mutant appears in the reprinted trade paperback
1: so that's what we'll be talking about next week and until then my name is Glue.
0: i'm mike wood thanks for listening keep reading comics